0: After eight months of slowly working our way through Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, we are finally nearing the end. And don't know about you, but I find it pretty interesting how Jesus chooses to conclude his teaching. He doesn't finish with an inspiring story, or a clever acronym, or three points of application. No, he closes out the sermon with three warnings. Last time, if you remember, we looked at Jesus warning about the two roads or the two paths that you can choose to follow in life. One is the broad way that just a ton of people are on and it's basically live however you want. And the other is a very narrow way. It's a very specific way to be human, really based on Jesus' teachings that he's been unpacking for us throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And the warning is that these paths lead to very different destinations. One leads to life, the other leads to destruction. Next time, we'll look at Jesus' warning about the foundations we're building our lives on. As we're gonna see, Jesus contrasts those who build their lives on his teaching with those who don't. And let's just say the consequences for those who ignore his teaching, well, they're pretty catastrophic. But what we're gonna be looking at today is a warning to be on our guard against false prophets. And so in verse 15, here in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. Just so you know, a prophet is basically a guide who helps you and I navigate the journey of life. A true prophet gives us, if you like, a map to help us find the way to human flourishing, the, the way to live in the kingdom of God or what Jesus called the life that is truly life. That's a true prophet. But a false prophet points us down the wrong path. And before we know it, a decade or two goes by and we end up at the wrong destination. And for Jesus, the danger is that false prophets aren't quite as easy to spot as perhaps we assume. They often look like harmless sheep. They appear very innocent, but they're actually vicious wolves, that they're dangerous predators who are out to devour us. Which raises the question, how then do you spot a true prophet from a false one? Well, Jesus, in this passage, Gives us three very simple tests. First one is the life test. Take a look at verse 16. Jesus says, You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Uh, Well, the answer is no. A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Just to explain. Fruit here is like a metaphor for what comes out of your life it's another term for character it's pretty simple healthy vines produce grapes fig trees produce figs and thorns and thistles produce thorns and thistles so take a close look at the fruit or the character of the people you're looking to for guidance. And then ask yourself this, is it good or is it bad? Which is great in theory. The problem is Jesus doesn't actually define good here. And so it'd be very easy for us to import our own opinion of what's good and bad into the text. After all, the very first temptation to face humanity way back at the beginning of the story in Genesis 3, if you remember, is to redefine good and evil based on your own desires and the voice in the back of your head personified by the serpent in that story, rather than to defer and put your trust in God and what he has said to be good and true and what is evil and bad. Really, that right there is the temptation beneath all the other temptations to redefine good and evil based on a combination of your own desires and the voice you hear in the back of your head rather than to trust God and what he has said to be true. Now, I think a big part of the problem here is that in our culture we would tend to define good wouldn't we as loving which for the most part we take to mean nice and tolerant and what makes people happy and if we then impose that view on what Jesus says here we can kind of shrug it all off and say well it doesn't really matter what they say it doesn't matter whether it fits with the teaching of the Bible Uh, I mean they're a good person, they're nice, they're tolerant, they, they want people to be happy. What's the big deal? And I suggest that is one of the main reasons why our society is in such crisis right now. We no longer have an anchor point for what is good or evil. It's like There's this mob mentality. Everyone's presenting different versions of what's good and evil and then attacking people who dare to question them. Listen, we desperately need an anchor point. And just to be clear, that anchor point is Jesus himself. We need to submit our understanding of what's good and bad to his teachings as laid out by Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the Gospel writers, and then interpreted by the writers of the rest of the New Testament. Which then leads us to test number two. How do you spot a true prophet from a false one? Well, secondly, Jesus introduces us to the obedience test. Verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. I love the message paraphrase of this verse. It says, Knowing the correct password, saying, Master, Master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my Father wills. Now for... Matthew who wrote this gospel, Jesus teaching is the will of the Father and the will of the Father is Jesus teaching. In the words of Jesus, those who have seen me have seen the Father, I and the Father are one. In other words, Jesus claimed, didn't he, to to speak on behalf of God himself, that they are one and the same. So for Jesus, The life test isn't enough. It is not enough for someone to simply be a good person. You need to look really closely at the content of what they're teaching. Can't help thinking of Paul's instruction to his young protege, Timothy. He said, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you really is this same idea of how you live and what you teach being vitally important because notice what's at stake here your salvation and the salvation of others and so A great question to ask when you're maybe listening to a podcast or reading a blog or a book or an article or listening to a lecture or something on the radio or watching a documentary or you're simply just scrolling through your social media feed. A great question to ask is, is this person's teaching moving my heart to obey Jesus' teachings? Do they make me want to do the will of the Father? Or... Do they make me doubt or play fast and loose with interpretation or simply explain things away in order to justify me doing what in my heart of hearts really I want to do? I tell you, this is where we have to be so rooted in the teachings of the whole Bible. If you like, we need to be like the Bereans in Acts 17 who were told received the message with great eagerness and examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now let's face it, if that was necessary for the teaching of the Apostle Paul, how much more so for the rest of us? And so, in case you're wondering, just to be clear, you have to test everything that I say, because, shock horror, there'll be things that I teach that are wrong. Hopefully not heretically wrong, but maybe just not the right balance, or not what the original The original author intended or not well-explained or inappropriately applied. Problem is, I don't know which bits are wrong. It's not as though I'm sitting there kind of writing my sermons thinking, okay, where, where shall I drop in the heresy part this time? Before God, I'm doing my best here, but I'm a human being with a mind that is fallen and lacks wisdom at times. And so you've got to test everything I say. In fact, everything everybody has to say. I hasten to add, not against what you think, not against what our culture thinks, but against the litmus test that is Scripture. Listen, listen. We have to be so immersed in what the Bible says that when somebody is just a little off, we can spot it a mile off. Which, you don't need me to tell you, is easier said than done. You see, we can easily get confused because false prophets tend to use Christian language. Lord, Lord sounds very spiritual but it doesn't guarantee that the person is being true to the Lord's teaching. In preparation for this talk, I was particularly struck by this paragraph from Rosaria Butterfield, where she refers to those who reinvent Christianity to avoid the disgrace and shame of the cross for a respectable religion that bows to the idols of our day, consumerism, and sexual autonomy. This manipulation strategy relies on using Biblical words in anti-Biblical ways. It shares with Biblical Christianity the same vocabulary, but not the same dictionary. In short, Jesus and Rosaria Butterfield a warning us not to be naive, not to embrace just what our ears want to hear, and not to be duped by people using Christianly language to undermine the very clear teachings of Christianity. So, test number one is the life test. Test number two, the teaching test. And then test number three, Jesus emphasizes the importance of the relationship test. Verse 22, he says, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I'll reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Now just to say, Jesus isn't here primarily teaching about our salvation. Now his chief concern is the false prophets who claim to be his followers, who claim to speak on his behalf but aren't actually in relationship with him. Now don't miss this. For Jesus... A good life and good teaching, important though they are, are not enough. Now, he sets the bar even higher. The ultimate test is one of genuine relationship with Jesus. Do they know Jesus? And by know, Jesus isn't talking just about head knowledge. He's getting at relational knowledge. He's talking about intimacy He's talking about genuine friendship. And so if you're just a bit concerned about what Jesus is saying here and you're perhaps a little fearful that you could be excluded on Judgment Day, the best way to respond is to dig deeper into your relationship with Jesus. And so I'd simply appeal to you to pursue greater intimacy, deeper friendship with him. Not out of fear, but out of delight. And all that being said, I think the tricky thing about this third test is that we can't actually test for it. We can guess, we can pray, we can discern whether other people have a genuine relationship with Jesus, but ultimately, at the end of the day, we just don't know this side of Judgment Day. And so we have a responsibility to watch out. We are to beware. We're definitely to be on our guard. But ultimately, is not our place to judge. That role is reserved solely for Jesus. Just to add, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't actually tell us what to do with the false prophets, other than to simply watch out for them which i'd suggest requires a degree of maturity because i don't think jesus is wanting to create a community of self-appointed watchdogs i don't think he's looking for us to foster a spirit of suspicion or cynicism where every spiritual leader or every preacher is guilty until proven innocent but we are to remain watchful and alert and to that end Jesus is wanting us to be rooted in Scripture. He's calling us to be obedient to what Scripture teaches of people who aren't easily duped. And so, as I draw to a close, why don't you just dream with me for a few moments? Just imagine what it would be like if we as a community made it our goal to be true prophets, pointing to the good life that Jesus alone offers? What if we were to devote our lives to obeying the teachings of Jesus, to doing the Father's will, not simply our own will, not just following our desires wherever they take us, but doing the Father's will? And what if out of that we were to bear fruit Men, women, children transformed out of relationship to become the true prophets that our city so desperately needs. And what if we weren't just on our guard for false prophets, but we were actively seeking to be true prophets to our family, to our friends, to our neighbours, to our classmates, our colleagues at work in a city that has lost its bearings, that has no anchor point, what if we were truth tellers, producers of good fruit, living in the reality of Jesus, anchored in him and pointing others to him? For what it's worth, I think that is the kind of community that God is calling us to be.